This is a direct application of this passage. Let's take care of our hearts. Let's take care of our motivations. Let's take care of who we are because it matters, not just individually, but for the cause of the gospel during our moment in history. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lawrence. Today we continue our series titled His Church, based on the New Testament book of Colossians. We are learning from the Apostle Paul the things that should identify us as true followers of Christ. Today it's part two of Crawford's message, Our Choice. Living an authentic Christian life often depends on the choices we make and how much we treasure the truth of Scripture. Hope you can stick around for today's study. So far, this series has taught us what matters most about our incomparable Christ, giving all for our Savior's cause and our freedom. Dr. Crawford Loritz has dedicated over 50 years of his life to Christian ministry, serving with Campus Crusade for Christ and in church planting. He recently retired as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, serving for 15 years there. Crawford now heads the Christian Leadership Mentoring Ministry known as Beyond Our Generation. Well, let's get right to today's study based on Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Colossians 3. The Apostle Paul says there are choices we must make if we're to shine as lights for our Savior. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. And so he says our identity has to do with the rendering ourselves dead to the evils of this world. You have died. Um, secondly, he says we're hidden. Hidden. That implies concealment and, and safety. But he hides us. We're his. We're also destined for glory. That's what verse 4 is all about. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Crawford, you need to live like that. You need to live this way. You, you, you're dead. You're concealed. You're hidden. My identity says that <laughs> I'm destined for glory. That's the way you need to think. That's the way you need to think. Too many Christians are locked into this struggle mentality. And we don't think this way. Again, this is, not, this, is not, this is not locker room talk. This is not motivational speech here. This is reality. This is who we are in him. We are with him right now. We're seated together with him right now. And he says, based upon that, what do we need to reject? Because of this is your reality, now what do I need to reject? Uh, for the sake of time, uh, verses 5 through 9, he outlines what we need to reject. And I'll just summarize that with one big statement. All sinful, ungodly behavior. Verses 5 through 9 articulates who we once were. And let me just read the verses. But I'm not going to parse out the individual sins. But he says here, notice, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, contrasting with since you have been raised with him. All right, well, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, uh, covetousness, which is idolatry, account, account of, these, uh, of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, and when you were living in them. 
But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So what is he saying here? He's saying, quite frankly, these sinful tendencies are in contrast to the things above. And that's where you are. But notice what he says. He says in verse 5, strong language, and the tense of the Greek verb there is historic action. He says, put to death. Put to death. In other words, he's saying, this is war. This is war. What we need to do with sin is not accommodate it, but kill it. Kill it. Make war on sin. And part of our problem is, is that we don't hate sin as much as we ought to. And we struggle with it. We accommodate it. We hide it. But he says, put it to death. Put it to death. Kill it. Now, obviously, we're never going to get completely rid of sin in this life. But as believers, we're not called to to, to coddle it or to play with it. We're called to get rid of it. We're called to stop lying. We're called to stop gossiping. We're called to stop playing with pornography. We're called to stop getting drunk. We're called to put sin to death, to get rid of it. It contradicts who we are. It contradicts what Christ has done. It is a denial of his power. And some of us struggle with addictions I, 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 I'm, I'm struggling with saying this because I don't want to sound unkind. I don't want to sound unkind and not compassionate. I, and I know the power of addiction, but some of us struggle with addiction because, frankly, we don't struggle with addiction. We like it. And sin has become normative to us. We don't view it as abnormal. Tadashi, a Christian rapper, wrote a song entitled Make War. And one line in the song goes, I make war because sin never sleeps. And I, and I have to tell you, I have to tell you, with, in, in all my travels, and I've been around the block a little bit, we, we're living in a Christian culture right now that in our desire to help people to overcome sin and, and, and these things, that, you know, paradoxically, we have minimized the damnable nature of sin. And here you find Paul using strong language. No, it's not cute. No, 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 stop sanitizing it by saying, well, everybody struggles with this. Yeah, we struggle with it, but we should never accommodate it. And I know I'm being unpopular right now, but this, this, you know, sin can become a part of our personalities. You lie so much, you're a liar. You don't put a check on your lust, well, you you fall victim to sexual addiction. You keep sneaking around, taking the drinks and this kind of thing, getting high and this kind of thing, and you know you're a closet alcoholic. You're always filleting people, talking about them behind their backs, celebrating their own sins 
And that's what gossip is, sharing somebody else's sins and not yours. And what ends up happening in, 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 in congregations like this all over the world is that it gets normalized. And there needs to be a vicious hatred of sin, a full-on attack on sin. And the question that we all have to ask ourselves is, you know, have I decided to make war on sin? Do I really want to overcome this thing? How determined am I to clean up my thinking? How determined am I to clean up my attitude? How determined am I to put it to death? I have a problem with going, let's say you have a problem with going to those bad websites. Do you hate it enough to get rid of your personal computer and only you go online when you're in a public place in your home? And what we need to do is drag the sin out of the darkness and drag it into the light. And the best disinfectant for sin is the light. Do we want to put it to death? And again, I'm not preaching sinless perfection, neither is Paul. However, he is preaching radical removal. So why do we reject all of this? Well, again, he tells us in verses 10 and 11, because that's not who we are. That's not who we are. Verse 10 says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. The knowledge has an implication to the word of God. I'm going to connect that later on, down, down, down later on in, in the next paragraph. But knowledge has a connection. We, we, we're being renewed by knowledge. We're being renewed by intentionality. There needs to be this ongoing renewal and refreshing in order to stay victorious over sin. It's not, it's not so much elevating the struggle with sin as it is going to the solution for sin. The solution for sin is knowledge. It's the knowledge of God. It's the knowledge of the Word of God. It's, it's coming to know Him, and that's where the power comes. But then he also says the reason why we need to, need to re refuse this stuff and reject it, it's quite frankly because we, you know, we're pictures of heaven, and we reject division. Now, we personalize this, this passage as if the you is personal, but here he's talking to the church at Colossae. He's talking to the entire church there. And he's saying to them, look, 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 look. Your unity reflects your position in Christ. Since then you have been raised with him. Thus he gets down to speaking about how Christ relates to our distinctions. Wow. Verse 11, he says, here, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We're all seated together with him. Now, he's not saying that we should not know the difference between Greek and, 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 and Jew. Uh, certainly, but all these distinctions have been redeemed. And what's most important is the prime position that we have. So basically what he's saying is that Jesus Christ, when we come to him, in Christ these, these distinctions are redeemed. 
and the common ground that we have. So there, 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 there are no national distinctions, Greek or Jew. There's no religious distinctions, circumcised or uncircumcised. And no cultural distinctions, barbarian. Uh, by the way, the, the Greeks thought anyone who was not a Greek was a barbarian. Scythian has to do with, uh, many scholars believe, a wild nomad that just roamed. And no economic distinction, slave or free. Paul says you should never look down your noses on any of these people who are different than you. Why? Because our common ground is Jesus. It's the unity of Christ. We live and relate to one another as if we've been seated together in heaven. And because we are there, we act like we are there down here. And the unbelieving world sees the redemptive power of the gospel. How it causes us to be unified. Then third and finally is this. It begins with the way we think. Then he moves to our will, what we refuse. And then he ends with what we embrace, verses 12 through 17. This is actually, masterfully, the application of those other two paragraphs. Here's, here's what you need to embrace. And this is laced with the affections, the feelings. This is what it ought to do in your heart. And there, there are four, four things that he says here. The very first thing, uh, observation that he makes is that of the supremacy of love and the power of love. And that's verses 12 through 14. I, I have a take on this. It may, may not be right, but I, I think it is. Verse 12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I actually believe, I actually believe, that this love that he refers to in verse 14 is the bond that holds all of the virtues together in verses 12 and 13. You ought to be baptized in love. Love for one another, love for God. Love for each other. You should be petty, secondary, refusing to talk to one another because you got offended. You should be loving. But then he says, secondly, peace or rule. Again, the primary application here is plural, not singular. But it's a good secondary application. But he's talking about the, you know, the closer we are to Christ, the closer we are to one another, and the harmony that we have with him, we should have with one another. And he uses the expression, let peace rule. Uh, Peace, in other words, is to be the arbitrator and ruling principle in our choices and decisions as well as in our relationships. Paul famously said in Romans 12, didn't he, if at all possible, live at peace with all men. Christians should never be those people who are looking to pick fights, ever. We should never be cranky folks. Our position in Christ we're seated with him. And the reality of that position should splatter on our journey down here. We shouldn't be a bunch of irritable folks. 
Wherever we show up, peace should be walking into the house. Peace should be walking into the meeting. Peace should be walking into the relationship. And by the way, this has implications in terms of our decisions and choices. I mean, I, you know, I, I've done this. I've ignored, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit was tugging on my heart about a decision and choice, and I didn't feel comfortable about it. I didn't feel comfortable about it. I didn't have peace about it, but I talked myself into doing it, and it didn't end well. Let it be the arbiter. Then thirdly, he says, the word of Christ. Notice he says, again, let the word of Christ. Let it. Let it. Allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. Then he says, how it should dwell in you richly. And I think that this is talking about the body, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the product of the word of God. But notice it says, let it dwell in you richly. Richly. Ah, this implies that we are saturated with it. We can taste it and others can taste and see it. It is a delightful, permanent, abiding part of our life. Hear me on this. We will never sustain victory over our sin until we become serious about the Word of God. It won't happen. Some of us have inconsistent, lazy Bible reading habits. I shouldn't even say it's a habit. And yet we want to get rid of these bad thoughts. We want to get rid of these bad things in us. But we're malnourished. We're malnourished. We don't eat consistently, and yet we want to be healthy. How does that work? You see, again, this is not legalism. Paul is saying, okay, if you, <laughs> you, what do you want to do, man? What do you want to do? You want God just deliver you from all this stuff? And you want to do what? Zero? Seriously? You, you want your family? I mean, you want this solved in your heart, right? You don't want your mind in the gutter, and you don't want to keep getting sidetracked by this, and you don't want to keep drinking all the time, and you don't want to keep thinking this. And how often have you read the book? It's almost as good are you serious, Croft? Really? Let it dwell in you richly. Learn to love it and cherish it. And then finally he says, to wrap it all up, puts a book in on this. <laughs> he talks about, you, you really have to surrender to his lordship. That's what verse 17 is about. And whatever you do in word or deed, remember, context, remember, remember you're seated with him. That's your identity. So, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name. That implies representation. In the name, it implies authority. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That, my friends, is the duties of grace. Surprising. It's the responsibilities of grace. Surprising. No, we don't do these things to get God to love us anymore. He can't. He loves us supremely. We're always accepted by him. 
But if we want to know his pleasure, if we want to know his pleasure, if we want to know his victory, if we want to live lives that tell the truth about who we are and where we're going, then what we think matters. What we refuse matters. And what we embrace matters. It matters. So the choice is ours. And I think one of the things as I read this text, uh, I'm really concerned about our testimony to a watching world. I'm more concerned about that than I've ever been in my life as believers. And I think a lot of what, a lot of the division that's out there right now, the lack of civility that we're experiencing and the hostility that's there, the lack of civility is fueled by two very nasty things, self-righteousness and contempt. And whenever believers become self-righteous and contemptuous, we have lost moral authority to speak against the sins of the nation because we have become complicit with that sin. And this is a direct application of this passage. Let's take care of our hearts. Let's take care of our motivations. Let's take care of who we are because it matters, not just individually, but for the cause of the gospel during our moment in history. If you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus, you can be one right now. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn from my sin and I trust you as my Savior and Lord. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your love and thank you for what you have said to us from your word. And we don't get the opportunity to edit your word to make it say what we like. But your word used by your spirit edits us so that we can become what you want. And so Lord Jesus, help us, we pray. Thank you for your grace and mercy and because you love us. Because you will never be able to love us more, you love us infinitely. You've accepted us. Now we, may we live as living sacrifices for you in the world in which you've placed us. Help us to deal with our sin, to put it off, oh God. Give us the spirit of a warrior. May we put it to death, trusting your spirit to give us what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Choice, the title of today's message by Crawford Loretz. We're working our way through a series in Colossians called His Church. If you are willing to pray the prayer that Crawford just led and would like some more help in making that decision to follow Christ, here's a toll-free number to call to speak with someone right now. 1-888-NEED-HIM. 1-888-NEED-HIM. Well, it's wonderful to hear how God is using Crawford's teaching each week. And if you're finding his messages helpful, let us know at legacy at moody.edu. Legacy at moody.edu. Now, you don't need to write a book, just a few sentences to let us know you're there and are finding these weekly Bible messages helpful. Legacy at moody.edu. If you missed part of today's message, you can stream it all on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thank you for joining us today. 
This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.